Uh, if you were here last week, I used this little cup in the water illustration. If you were not here, you can, it's still online, you can go watch it if you need to. But um, just a, a quick recap as we're jumping in. The, the great thing about walking through a book of the Bible like we've been doing is that, man, there's just so many amazing truths and um, just uh, kind of no matter where you're at in life, what you're going through, what situations you're in, what seasons you're in. I, th I think probably every book of the Bible is going to hit on some of those things as we walk through it together, uh, whether it's relationships or um, stuff going on at work or just sin issues or your just your relationship with the Lord and maybe not feeling close to Him. Um, and there's so many ways that a book like this just speaks into it. The hard thing about going through the book of the Bible, uh, one book of the Bible, is that if you miss a week and then we're kind of like walking right through it and you might have just missed like the last section and then we're kind of building on that the next week. So um, like I said, as we do this, we do have these online as a resource that you can go back and watch um, or listen to the, the podcast on the Eastridge app or on YouTube and Spotify and all that stuff. So um, just check it out if you need to, if you want to. Um, but we are in the book of Colossians. If you have a Bible, just go ahead and open it up. So we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3. Jordan just read the first four verses. And then also um, I'm going to read a couple of little passages in Ephesians and Philippians. They're all right around there. Um, Colossians is kind of right in the middle of your New Testament, okay? Um, so go ahead and find Colossians in there. But this illustration here is, is really the, I think the main point of the entire book of Colossians. And the idea is this, that um, we are, you and I are, if we are Christians, we are this glass that's inside this pitcher, right? And Christ, God, Jesus is the pitcher of water, right? He is the, it says last week we were reading, Jesus is the fullness of God and we have been given fullness in him. So we exist in Christ always, and he also, as Paul puts this, lives in us. So he is in us and we are in him. And the question was asked last week, uh, is the water in the glass or is the glass in the water? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes, right? Both are true. Christ is in us and we are in him always. And we don't live outside of that ever. So I just wanted to bring this back up here this week because, um, well, there is one particular verse that we're going to look at in just a minute, verse three, that I think just gives us another way of thinking about this and looking at this and seeing the reality of us being in Christ and how beautiful that is, how amazing that reality is for us. So um, I'll tell you what, let's just pray together and then we will, we're going to jump right in to chapter three. All right, let's pray. Thank you, God, so much for your word and, and Colossians, this book that is just so rich and so true and so powerful for our daily lives. Um, we, thank, we thank you for it. And I pray, God, this morning that you would speak to us in your word like you always do. Your word is living and active. Your word is sharp. Your word is powerful. It's convicting sometimes, but it's encouraging and it's life-giving. So just speak to us in it. it helps to hear you. In Jesus' name, amen. So what Paul has been doing, the Apostle Paul, by the way, if you haven't, again, if you're not caught up with uh, Colossians and what we're doing here, the Apostle Paul, kind of the first missionary, great missionary to the church in the first century, the Roman world, as he's going around, he's, he's planting churches, starting on these churches and putting pastors in place and helping the, the kind of the, the church there in the first century begin to grow and expand. He, he later, while he's in prison in Rome, begins to write letters out to these churches. And Colossians is one of those letters, the church at Colossae, a city there uh, in Rome. Paul had not been to Colossae himself, uh, but he was writing a letter based on some things he was hearing about a guy or some teachers in Colossae who were teaching some weird stuff about uh, kind of like adding things to our faith in Christ, right? And Paul's just writing this letter to go, no, 
It's Jesus. Like we follow Jesus. We trust in Jesus. We live in Jesus. He is our life, as the verse that Jordan just read. Jesus is our life. He's not just a supplement to our lives. He's life. And we are in him and he is in us. And so everything that we do must start here, spring from the life that we have in Christ. So the first two chapters, he's just laid down a lot of deep theology. I don't have time to go over all of that again this morning. Um, But man, he's just spent a lot of effort here in the first couple chapters, just letting us know who this Jesus really is, what the gospel is and who we are in him. And and this is common in all the Pauline letters, uh, Romans and first and second Corinthians and Galatians, Ephesians, all these letters. He starts off with very deep theology and then he moves towards practical application is where we're starting today is is towards practical application. Um, And here's why he does that because listen, theology matters greatly. Uh, I believe there's a growth group called Theology Matters, right? One of our growth groups is called Theology Matters, and that's a great name for a growth group. But here's the thing. Theology matters if it changes how I live my life, right? It's not enough to know stuff, right? It's not enough just to have knowledge about things in my head. I have to actually be willing to let that knowledge sink into my heart so that my life is different, right? So that I'm changed in the way that I live. So Paul starts it off with theology and now he's really gonna move towards, not that there's no theology, but he's now moving towards how does that theology, how does who Jesus is and who I am in him change the way that I practically live my life day to day, okay? So I really have three main points this morning. Um, they are the, here, here's the points. I'm gonna go ahead and give them to you. The three points are this. One, you are new in Christ. And that point has really two subpoints: that we have a new position and a new personal identity. Okay, in Christ, we are new. We have a new position and we have a new personal identity, okay? Um, the second point is, therefore, you must have new priorities. Okay, I'm trying to use P words just to help you remember this morning. So new position, new personal identity, new priorities. That's the second point. You have new priorities. And the third point is, in Christ, we must have new practices. Okay, if I am new, I have a new position, a new personal identity, and I have new priorities in, in mind and heart, then I have new practices. I practically live that out in a way that is evident that my life has been changed because of who I am in Jesus, okay? So, point number one, I'm new in Christ. So, in Christ, we do have a new position, okay? The first sub-point A and B of point one is, I do have a new position, and I do have a new personal identity. So, so point one is this, I do have a new position in Christ. Let me read, read you what I mean. Verses one through four again, what Jordan just read. Since then, you have been raised with Christ, new position, I'm raised with Christ. He says, since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So he's told us three things about our position in Jesus. One, we are raised with Christ. That is already true of you. That in Jesus, because you have faith in Jesus, if you have faith in Jesus, you you don't really just exist on this worldly, earthly plane. You exist in heaven right now in Christ. Isn't that crazy? Like that is a crazy way of thinking about life. Um, If you read Ephesians chapter two, Ephesians chapter two, verses one through 10, I'm not gonna read the whole thing, but if you read that passage, Paul says at the beginning of the passage, he says you were dead in sin, in in your transgressions and your sins, but because of his great love for us, God made us alive with Christ. And then he says this word, he says the most amazing word in Ephesians two is the word, and. 
He says, and like, he, see, he says, you were dead in sin and God made you alive. And I'm like, the book should end there. Ephesians should end in 2-4. But then he's got like four more chapters to write after the and. He says, and God has raised you up with Christ and seated you with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to you in Christ Jesus, right? Like Paul just keeps going after you've been dead and made alive with Christ. There's an and, right? And here's exactly what he's saying. Again, you've been raised with him, that your life, and then he says, your life is hidden with Christ. Back, back here, maybe, can you guys see the cup in here? Can you see it in there? Or is it like invisible? I don't know. I'm trying. I'm hoping it's kind of hard to see, but maybe it's hard to see. Maybe it's not. I can see it, but my, my hope is sort of this illustration points us to, you can't really see the glass very well, right? Our life is hidden with Christ in God. And I love that imagery of like we, I, myself and my selfish nature. I love that Tere read that this morning, just thinking about who I am apart from Jesus and the way that I want to kind of do what I want to do, right? My sinfulness, but that, that, that self is dead with Jesus on the cross and the new life that I live is now hidden, he says. You've been raised with him and you're hidden with Christ in God. And then he says in verse four, when, uh, when Christ appears, right? When Christ who is your life appears, you will also appear with him in glory. And that's sort of a future tense position, right? That we understand that when Jesus returns and he raises the dead to life and he gives us our new bodies, or we will appear with Christ in glory. We will get these new and glorious bodies with him. And then forever, we will reign with Christ over the new heavens and the new earth. We have this new position in Jesus, but not just a new position. He says, we do have a new personal identity, a new personal identity, verses three and four. Again, for you died and your life, so you have a, a life that was dead, you were dead in sin, and now you're alive in Jesus. That's an identity. I was dead, and now I'm alive. That, I think every Christian, y'all, we have a six-word testimony. I was dead, now I'm alive, right? Like, that is true of us. That's an identity statement. I was dead in sin. I was a sinner, which we, we understand this. Listen, yes, practically, you and I still sin. We still make mistakes. We still mess up. But that is not who we are. You know, the most common term given to Christians in the New Testament, it's saint, holy ones, saints. Paul used that word in chapter one, that we have an inheritance with the saints. That's us. That's an identity statement. He says, you died and Christ is your life now. Christ is your life now. But he also gives us some other identity. He kind of works these through the entire chapter. So let's actually skip down a little bit. Verse nine, it says, do not lie to each other since you have, listen, taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You're not just alive, you're new. You're brand new. In Romans chapter six, one through four, Paul says when you're baptized into Christ, you are raised to new life. New life, not just better, not just nicer, new, alive in Jesus and brand new in him. And anybody in here who has struggled with some stuff in life, you've got a little bit of life behind you, right? Anybody like, honestly, anybody got a little life behind them? Anybody got a little bit going on back in the past? That new, that's an amen, right? Amen, I'm new in Jesus, that stuff that, that, that Ray was reading about, where Paul's just writing that in Romans 7, he's like, man, that, I just feel that some days that's true, but I also know that there's no condemnation for me because I'm new. I'm alive in him, and I am new in Jesus, right? So he said, man, you've taken off that old self. 
and you're new in Christ and who you are in him. And I want to read, so go, to, go backwards to Ephesians, okay? A couple books, just backwards to Ephesians. I want to read this, because what is that newness all about? He says um, that we're made new in the knowledge into the image of our creator, like knowledge. That's something to do with our minds, right? Something to do with our minds, this newness that he's talking about. Um, Ephesians chapter 4. Let's go to chapter 4, verses 22 through 24. Paul says this, Ephesians is, uh, honestly, it's, it's sort of a longer Colossians. He just goes in a little bit more depth. So if you're ever reading Colossians, you're like, what does he mean by that? There's probably a parallel passage in, in Ephesians that can help you, okay? So here's what's going on. Verses 22 through 24 in Ephesians chapter 4, he says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life. So there's that old self, right? Your former way of life. To put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. What is that old self about? Deceitful desires, personal, sinful, selfish desires that we have apart from Christ. That defines the old self. And he says, to be made new, here's the new, in the attitude of your minds. That sounds similar to Colossians, right? Being made new in the attitude of our minds. And he says, to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Okay, so back to Colossians. In Colossians 3, he says, we have put on the new self being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. That's, that's our newness. We're being made new in the knowledge of, in the image of our creator, of God. In Ephesians 4, he said, to be made like God in true righteousness and holiness. So what is this, what is this image of God that we are being made into in our newness? It's righteousness and it's holiness. This is who God is. Righteousness just means he, he's always right. There's nothing wrong in God. Always just, always does the right thing. And holiness is just perfection and purity and beauty. That's who God is. And he's saying, man, we are being made in the knowledge of our minds into that image to be more and more and more like God. Now, there are days we don't feel very righteous and holy, right? That's just, that's true. That's human nature. That's that's what it means to be human, I think. But man, Paul is saying that is who you are. And I think the process of sanctification, sanctification just means being made more like Jesus, right? It's exactly what he's saying in verse 10. That process is really just a process of your, your actions starting to line up with your identity. You are this. You're a saint. You're new. You're alive. Now live that way. So, Point number one, you're new in Christ. We do have a new position. We do have a new personal identity. He also calls us uh, other identity statements. Verse 12, therefore is God's, listen, God's chosen people. You're chosen. He says, holy and dearly loved. You're chosen. You're holy. You're dearly loved. That's who you are. Paul is just trying to lay this foundation under our feet about, man, I'm going to tell you some stuff to do, but first I need you to know who you are. You're chosen. You're holy. You're dearly loved. He says in verse 11, he says, Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. And then verse 15, he says, Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. That's an identity statement. You're a member of a body. Who's that? That's us. One body, the church, we're all this, we're in him. I wish I had a, a jug big enough to fit a thousand glasses in here because that's the church. 
We're all in Christ together. We're members of one body. And so it matters how we live and how we treat each other, right? He's he's just making these identity statements. We do have a new position. We do have a new personal identity. All right, point number two, big point number two. In Christ, we will have new priorities. We do have a new position and we do have a new person. That's true. That's been done. When you put your faith in Christ, you're baptized into him. You're new. You're alive. Now, because that's true, therefore, we will have new priorities. That's where he starts in verses one and two. Again, he says this, since then, since you have been raised with Christ, set your minds on things above. Priorities. Set your mind on things above. He's not talking about the ceiling. He's not talking about the birds. What's he talking about? Christ, heaven, your position in him. You are already seated with him. You're raised with him. That's who you are. Your identity is above in Christ. So set your mind on things above. And then he says, set your, or your heart on things above. Then he says, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. So your heart and your mind. This is priority statements. Your heart's and your minds set prioritizing the things that are of Christ. Matthew 6, what does he say? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, right? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This is a mind and a heart that is set on the things that are above, set on Christ and his throne, set on his authority and rule and reign and sovereignty and his goodness and his mercy forever set on Jesus. He says, man, if this is true of who you are, you are new, you are alive, you've been changed, then set your hearts and your minds on things above. So go to Philippians. So go back one book, one book, back to Philippians chapter one. Philippians chapter one, verses, verse nine, starting in verse nine. He says this, same, same author, same, same guy, Paul, just writing into a different church. And he says, this is my prayer that your love may ab- bound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. So there's love, heart, may abound in knowledge, right? Heart and mind. Again, same idea here. Your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. So that you may be able to discern what is best. What is that? That's new priority, He's saying, man, I want your heart and your mind to be so changed by who you are in God that you have brand new priorities, that you can discern what is best. Other translations say, approve what is excellent, that the best thing would be your goal, would be your aim in life. Not the little, you know, minute things that don't really matter. How much of our time is spent on things that don't really matter eternally? How much effort, how much stock do we put in stuff That will just be the stuff of garage sales and dumpsters in a year, right? Like how much time do we spend on things that are temporary? And he's like, man, I want you to discern what is best, what is excellent, what is the most worthy of your attention. When your heart and your mind is changed by that position and that identity that you have in Jesus, your priorities change. You want new things. You desire new things. Is this true of you, church? That's a, it, it, he's given us a way of just thinking about our faith right here, right? Is it true of me that I have new priorities? That I have set my heart and my mind on things above? So, third point. In Christ, we must have new practices. 
In Christ, we do have a new position. We do have a new personal identity. We will have new priorities. And he says, we must have new practices. Now, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to read these two paragraphs. There's not a lot of preaching I need to do here. This is not like, everything I'm about to say is very clear and very straightforward. I just want you to hear it. And I want you to listen to God's word and let it speak into your life, wherever you're at and whatever you're going through, whatever you're struggling with. Okay, in Colossians chapter three. So we're gonna start in verse five. He says, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Verse 12. That was kind of the negative. Don't do these things, right? Here's the positive. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Don't forget who you are. But when I say these things, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I think that's my favorite verse in this book. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You hear yourself in there anywhere? I mean, I, every time I read a passage like that where Paul just gets so practical, he's giving us these great big thoughts, this great deep theology, and then he's just going, so stop lying. Stop being so angry with each other. Why are you living with anger and bitterness when Jesus forgave you so much? Can you not forgive as he's forgiven you? Don't be sexually impure. Don't let passion and evil desire run your life. Have a new mind and a new heart that's been changed by the identity God has given you. You are new, saint in Christ. Stop living like that old person. Stop living like the world. We want people to see when they look at us, and it's not going to be perfect because we're not going to be perfect, but we want as best as we can people to see that we belong to Jesus and we're being made new all the time in the knowledge of him. And if, man, we refuse to live our lives in him and we refuse to obey his word, he said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You know what that means? Let it, let it dwell in you richly. It's like, you ever have a friend whose house you could go to and like you didn't have to ask to open the fridge? 
Anybody ever have that friend or like that, that place or maybe you're that house where people can come over. They don't have to ask. Like they can just open the fridge. They can get whatever they want. They can, you know, prop up on the couch. They can put the feet up. You know what I mean? Like they just make themselves at home or you had that friend that you could do that with. I think that's what he means. Let the word of Christ have that dwelling in your heart. No restrictions that Jesus gets to tell me what to do. He gets to run my life because he bought me and he made me, Colossians 1, for himself. If he made you and he paid for you, what can he not tell you, right? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Man, let it, ch- guys, if we're not spending every day of our lives as often as we can, as much as we can, just pouring ourselves over the scriptures, man, we're missing it. And it can't dwell in us richly if we don't give it that reign in our lives. None of this is rocket science, Right? Christianity at its foundation is Christ in you, you in him. Now live like it and obey what it says. So I would just encourage you maybe go back home, read all of those things again. And here's a summary of all that argument. Paul is making an argument here, right? He's just kind of building an argument. Help us understand, like, how do I live this way? Here's the summary of that. Okay, here it is. Since you have a new position and a new personal identity in Christ, live with new priorities of heart and mind that produce new practices in everyday life. That's the summary of chapter three, one through 16, okay? Um, Since that is true, who you are in Christ, live with new priorities of heart and mind that produce new practices in everyday life. You've died with him, you've been raised with him, he is your life, you are chosen, you are holy, you are beloved, therefore have new priorities of heart and mind because he's everything to us. He's our all in all, which means submit your desires and your passions and your emotions and your attitudes and your actions to God. Don't be perverse and sexually immoral or driven by lust. Don't love money. Don't be bitter and angry and unforgiving. Don't speak in a filthy way or an unkind way. Don't lie to each other. Instead, be kind and loving and patient and forgiving and filled. He said, filled with peace, the peace of God and the word of God. Of Christ. Now listen, don't get this backwards. Don't get it backwards, what, what he's saying here, this argument that he's making. Don't get it backwards where if I try to do different things, right? If I try to live my life a different way, maybe then God will accept me or God will love me. Maybe then he'll think I'm good enough or worthy enough to be saved. That's exactly the opposite of what he's saying. He loves you. He died for you. He saved you. He made you new. Now let that be the foundation of your life to go and live a new life and be who he's calling you to be. If you get that backwards, you'll either be one of two things. You'll be a self-righteous Pharisee trying to strive for religious achievement, or you'll be a sad, miserable wretch because you can't be who you're pretending to be. If you get this backwards, We don't live for God's approval. We live from it. We don't live for his love. We live from it. We are this. We live from it. Um, So I was thinking about this message. Um, I'd read this article not too long ago about a guy named Wells uh, Crowther. Wells Crowther. Wells Crowther was um, just a young man that uh, when he was young, his dad gave him this red bandana 
that he would put on. And this red bandana was sort of a symbol that as his dad taught him and, you know, loved him and trained him up as a young man. You know, he, he always kind of used this red bandana as like a symbol of manhood, right? And courage and strength and all that kind of stuff. And he lived like that. And he, you know, Wells just tried to live his life based on who his dad taught him to be. And so he would wear that red bandana as he worked, as he played football in high school, like he would always wear the red bandana. And that's just his symbol of, man, be a man that God, that, that, that my dad taught me to be. Wells Crowther worked in the World Trade Center. And on that day, 21 years ago, when a plane flew into his building, it was Wells who stood up on his floor and started helping people get to safety. Um, stories go that he just kept, he was shouting directions and he was kind of gathering people in groups and he even carried one elderly lady down several flights of stairs as they all walked down together. And he got people to like where a safe place was to get on an elevator, they could go down to the bottom and then he would run back in. And he kept doing it and he kept doing it. And he got, I mean, the story, I mean, he, if they say he saved dozens, if not more people on that day that got to the, the bottom and he himself never made it out of the building. And his family didn't really know what had happened to him. They didn't know, you know, what happened that day for him until several weeks later, and stories started to come out about Wells. And um, his family heard the stories because everybody that was telling these stories that was on that floor that day were just saying there was a guy with a red bandana. He had put it around his mouth to kind of block the smoke, you know, put it around his mouth. And, and that guy was the guy who was just leading so many people to safety that day. And his family knew that was Wells. The blood of Jesus is a thousand times better for us than a red bandana. But that is the truth of who we are, right? That is our identity that we have put this on. He says, put on the new self. The new self is not just something that we, we kind of, you know, pour a little bit in. The new self is just who we are. We live in Christ. And every day I wear the badge of the blood of Jesus that he saved me, he died for me, he loves me, he's made me right with God. I have justification and reconciliation with the Father. I don't have to worry about that ever again. And so I can live my life with courage, with conviction, with purity, with hope, with joy, with passion for the name of Jesus. My mind and my heart set on him every day, following him and trusting in him. And I just want to say a word um, as I wrap up about that one verse, verse three, where he says, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Um, I didn't intend on ending it this way, but I just couldn't get that word out of my mind this week. Hidden. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's a weird way. Paul doesn't use that phrase anywhere else in all of his letters. He doesn't say that that way. I looked for it. I was like, man, where else does he say this? Like, what is he talking about? Why did he say hidden? Why didn't he say, you have died and now you're alive with Christ and God? That's not what he says. He says, you died and your life is hidden. Like hidden, like you can't even see it. It's hidden with Christ and God. Here, here's my guess as to why Paul said, I can't, I, I don't know. I know this is true, but here's my guess as to like what his intention was when he said hidden with Christ and God. Because the word hide and hidden, it's used throughout the Bible really almost always to talk about shame and fear when we sin. Right? Adam and Eve, what's the first thing they do? They sin, they do what? 
They hide from the presence of God. And in the end, in Revelation 6, this is where I think it really kind of clicked with me as I was looking for this. Revelation 6, it says, in the end, when Jesus returns and the pre- like his presence is here, it says that everybody on the face of this earth will run and hide in caves And then they will ask rocks to fall on them because of their shame and their guilt. And it says that the rocks would crush them or hide them from the presence of God and his wrath. Hiding is all about that. But Paul says, our life is hidden with Christ. Here's why I think he says that. Because there is a way in which we even sin as Christians. Because we're going to mess up. And when we mess up as Christians, here's what's different about us than everybody else in the world. We don't have to hide from God. We're already hidden in him. Do you get this? Do you feel that beauty? Guys, if you mess up on a Saturday night, you know what the best thing to do on a Sunday morning is? Come here and weep and worship to him. That he's so good to us that we're hidden in him. And we don't ever have to run. We don't ever have to hide. We don't ever have to doubt this. We don't ever have to doubt his love for us, his mercy on us, because we're hidden already in him. He's our life. And he died for us. He gave us everything. So if I can just end it with one encouragement, it's this. Don't hide from him. Hide in him. Run to him when you screw up. Teenagers, I think teenagers, this is, I've seen it happen for years. Don't hide from him, young people. Hide in him. Run to him. Trust that the blood of Jesus has paid for that. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. Hide in him. Trust in him. New identity, new priorities, new practices. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much. Thank you so much that you have changed us and you have made us new and that we put on Christ. That's just true of us. He's our life. And so let us put on new practices and live like Jesus is everything to us. God, teach us to do that out in the world so that others may see Christ in us and we may see more and more people come to know Jesus by our lives, by our actions, by our words, by our priorities. God, we thank you, and we trust you, and we love you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, y'all. Thank you all so much for being here today. Love you guys. Have a great Sunday.